0: Uh, please open your Bibles to Psalm 134, Psalm 134, um, and this is, uh, we've been going through the Songs of Ascent uh, over the past uh, few months, uh, it's actually, I think we began in uh, November, and uh, this is technically the, this is the last Psalm of Ascent. Uh, Psalm 120 to 134 are the songs of ascent, but there's a couple more. uh, Psalm 120 and 136 comprise what uh, many uh, uh, call the the great hallel, or the uh, great praise section in uh, the Psalter, and so uh, in in our series, I'm going to continue the next couple Sundays and do Psalm 135 and 136. And then uh, we have Easter. No evening service on Easter. And uh, this morning, uh, I meant to uh, just kind of give a little bit of an update about our pre- preaching schedule. As uh, I finished uh, the Book of Colossians this morning, um, so over the next few weeks, we'll I'm going to do a short series on uh, just on Christ uh, the. Uh, Christ's perfect life, His perfect death, and then His perfect redemption for Easter, and then um, we're gonna we're gonna go through the book of uh, Philemon, uh, Paul's letter of Philemon, since that is kind of linked with Colossians, and also uh, because we can always uh, preach on forgiveness and learn about forgiveness. It's it's always applicable, and that's pretty much what Philemon is about. So that's what we'll be doing um, in the mornings for the next uh, month or so, and then I'll decide what book after that, um, leaning towards Philippians, but we'll see. But uh, tonight we're in the last song of a sense, and then uh, we'll do two more over the next couple weeks. And then, uh, and then after that for evening service, um, we're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes. So for tonight, let me um, read this psalm, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Psalm 134, a song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this uh, short psalm, help us to glean from it those principles of worship, the background, the context concerning uh, worship in uh, ancient Israel, and uh, the principles that we can apply to our lives today. Please guide us. Please guide me as I preach your word. I pray that my words would be your words. Your words would go forth in power and precision to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we've been going over this uh, series of the Songs of Ascent, we have learned uh, several things and, and there's there's a, a lot of similarities. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty much... Uh, God-centered, as almost all of the Psalter and, and um, many passages in the Bible are, are God-centered, directing us towards God, towards who he is, his character, his attributes, uh, but particularly in, in the sense of praise and worship as the Israelites, uh, the Jews, are um, traveling to uh, Jerusalem uh, on those, uh, during those three uh, prescribed uh, feasts throughout the year, um, traveling to Jerusalem to uh, partake in these celebrations which um, were commanded in uh, in the law, in uh, the Torah, and uh, along the way they would recite these psalms to one another, they would sing them, and and even uh, um, as they would go back to where they came from, um, whether that was within the, the boundaries of Israel or beyond um they would come and they would sing these songs, and remind one another why they were making this trek. Um, remind one another who God is, who they are, and uh, we we see um, several instances throughout these songs of ascent of um, their lifestyle, of uh, their um, heritage um, as Israelites of. God's blessing upon them, uh, their persecution, um, many instances about their their life and just, uh, you know, living a life as a believer. One commentator, he writes uh, concerning uh, these psalms, he says that almost all of these psalms, um, songs of ascent, uh, which the Jewish Pilgrims sang on their way up to Jerusalem on three prescribed annual occasions. These feasts included the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks or or, um, Harvest um, or Pentecost, um, and then the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Um, It appears that these songs begin far away from Jerusalem, um, as we read in Psalm 120, as he, uh, the, the psalmist comments on Meshach and Kedar, um, two uh, places which are far away, one in the far north and one in the far south, away from Israel. Um, and then he says uh, they progressively move toward Jerusalem until the pilgrims have actually reached the temple and finished their worship here in Psalm 134. And this is Psalm 134 is, in a sense, um, It's the farewell song. It's the grand finale and the great farewell as um, their worship is is just about ended. It's um, almost uh, as if the end of a conference, at at the end of a a long gathering, a reunion. And it's uh, many pastors, theologians would point to this time as uh, early dawn before they set out. And so... They're finishing their worship, and it's one more call to worship. But just in uh, reviewing before we get into this actual psalm, I'd like to just quickly uh, review over these these psalms. And, and uh, one of the one of the men who uh, uh, is uh, taught at the master's seminary for a long time and has written uh, commentaries is a Old Testament scholar, uh, Doctor William Barrick. I've been um, uh, going to his notes, uh, he has a website uh, called uh, actually Dr.barrick.org. And he has many teachings on there, many good things you can see. And uh, he has all he has taught through all the psalms, and uh, I've gleaned from his notes. And he gives um, in the Song of a Sense, these Psalms of a Sense, he, he gives a summary of each one, and he just um, gives a one line, almost like a title. Uh, for each of these uh, psalms, and I would like to go through that. And just as you as I read these these summaries, these titles, uh, you just uh, briefly uh, peruse these psalms. From Psalm one twenty, he says, Psalm one twenty troubled with living in a land dark with God's absence. Troubled with living in a land dark with God's absence. That's that's where they start, in a sense. These these songs, of a sense, start from far off. Uh, those, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Um, almost a sense of, of persecution, of um, frustration, living outside of Israel. And in Psalm 121, trusting in God's pr- protection. I lift up my, hill, my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, uh, almost as if they're... Uh, traveling, starting their travel, going through maybe a deep canyon or, or valley where there could be trouble and, and they're they're moving along, encouraging themselves about the Lord's protection. Psalm 122, he says, Thankful for fellow travelers to God's house. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, almost coming up to the house of the Lord, coming up to Jerusalem, uh, explaining... Uh, what Jerusalem is like, built as a city that is bound firmly together. In Psalm 123, uh, transfixed by God's grace, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Looking to God as they come into Jerusalem as they come to the temple they are transfixed by God's grace in Psalm 124 transformed by God's deliverance transformed by God's deliverance as David says if it had not been the Lord who was on our side let Israel now say if it had not been the Lord who was on our side and and just talking about uh, God's deliverance Almost as they were uh, delivered by the skin of their teeth. Um, From all the several um, uh, situations, crises um, in Israel's history. um, You you can see a a bit of uh, perhaps personal history pointing back um, as David uh, uh, writes this psalm. But mostly Israel's history. You know, always... Saved by the skin of their teeth. Uh, transformed by God's deliverance. In Psalm 125, Dr. Said, uh titles this, Trekking onward in God's presence. Those who trust in, in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. The Lord surrounds his people. Uh, just trekking onward in God's presence. Trusting in his presence. Resting in his presence as they travel. Psalm 126 transported in joy for god's deeds transported in joy for god's deeds when the lord restored the fortunes of zion we were like those who dream like those who dream then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy almost uh pointing to uh uh post-exile time which is it's probably what it was it was probably when the that that psalm was written, transported in joy for God's deeds. Psalm 127, transcending labor by God's gifts. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Uh, just talking about God's blessing on their labor, God's blessing in children, in a heritage, in, in all the the things of life, uh, provision, transcending labor by God's gifts. Psalm 128, treasuring God's blessings. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Treasuring God's blessings, uh, uh, the, the blessing that is upon um, those who trust in the Lord. And then Psalm 129, trading persecution for God's justice. Trading persecution for God's justice. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Just talking about the persecutions that that Israel was so prone to to experience. And, And yes, many times because of their own sin, because of their own idolatry. And nonetheless, they had been afflicted from their youth, and and yet they're trusting in God's justice, trading persecution for God's justice. Psalm one thirty. Doctor Barrick entitles this "Transfused by God's Forgiveness." Transfused by God's forgiveness, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Transfused by God's forgiveness, just basking in the greatness and the glory of God's grace and his forgiveness of his redemption, waiting upon the Lord. And Psalm 131, tranquilized by God's hope tranquilized by God's hope. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul, tranquilized by God's hope, put put to sleep like a weaned child with its mother, resting in God's hope, tranquilized completely because of God's hope. And Psalm 132, triumphant in God's promises. And, and this, this psalm was a, a psalm of, of great depth and breadth concerning God's covenant with Abraham and, and particularly with David, that he will set a king upon the throne, that the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. Um, and just that there is a king coming, a king who will reign in righteousness. Triumphant in God's promises, resting upon his promises, because the Lord has chosen Zion. In Psalm 133, a couple weeks ago, we saw Psalm 133 is basically all about unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The the grace of unity. And uh, Dr. Barrick titles this, Treated to the Unity of God's People. It is a treat, it's a, a blessing, it's a grace. And then now Psalm 134, he summarizes this as tracking God's blessing, tracking God's blessing. And that's what's going on here is that they're, they're tracking almost in the past, they're tracking all the ways that God has blessed them, remembering who, who God is, what he has done, uh, their time in Jerusalem, their time of gathering, their time of reconnecting with extended family members and the people of God. Um, and we just, you know, have to remember uh, just the the context of of these these songs, these psalms of ascent, the the uh, the feasts of worship, the um, the worship in in the Jewish context. Well, worship was centered around the temple and the tabernacle. Um, they didn't, though they had local assemblies, what they would call synagogues, which Quite literally, just means a gathering together. Um, but the synagogue, uh, according to Old Testament sacrificial system, that wasn't that wasn't necessarily worship. They they did read the law, they did pray, they did sing uh, psalms and hymns, but they couldn't sacrifice in a synagogue. They're supposed to sacrifice at the temple, in, in the temple alone. That was a place because that was a place where the priests would minister. That was an appointed place to offer their gifts and their sacrifices. And so they, they would come three times a year. They, they could come more often, but that was really the center of worship for them. That they um, looked forward to that. And, and this is Psalm 134, kind of encapsulates their time in Jerusalem during these feasts. And, and almost a, a, a goodbye as they're about to go out, and um, here we see, in a sense, that um, last blessing, that last call to praise the Lord. Uh, one commentator writes, he says, This brief psalm provides a fitting climax to the Songs of Ascents. It sums up two essential elements in worship what we offer to the God we worship, and what we receive from God in worship. And this psalm is just three short verses. It can easily be divided into two parts. We see that just briefly looking at it. But in these two parts, we see really two primary actions or two expressions recorded and proclaimed by the psalmist. First, and most apparently, is this call to worship. We see a call to worship. Verses 1 and 2 Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. This is a call to worship. It's a call from the psalmist, but it's almost as if the worshipers, all the people gathered are calling out to the priests, to the Levites, to all the people, um, the worship leaders. It's a call to worship to the worship leaders in the temple, to Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. All of them—the the great ones, the small ones, the the, the high priest, the the just—I uh, guess the, the normal priest. Um, those who um, might not necessarily be priests, but they're Levites. They're in in the tribe of Levi, and so they're um, perhaps uh, attending. To, um, to help assist in the worship, whether that would be uh, bringing uh, food and water and provisions to the other priests or just the uh, practical needs of the priests and the temple. It's to all the servants of the Lord. Come, bless the Lord. Uh, many uh, uh, commentators have described this scene as if um, all the uh, Worshippers are preparing to leave Jerusalem in the early dawn, in the early morning, um, because that's in a, a dry, desert-like region. And so you would travel. Um, if you couldn't travel all night, you would travel in the early dawn. And, and maybe as it started to heat up, you'd take a break. To, um, take um, you know, break in the hottest part of the day, and then as it cooled down a little bit more, continue your trek. But there's this picture of them um, uh, calling out to the priests, to the Levites, for one uh, last moment of praise, but also for continued praise. A uh, call to the worship, to the worship leaders, the great and the small, the near and the far, um, but also a call... For continued worship, continued worship, that they would continue the worship as even though the, the worshipers would leave, that, that they would have this, this hope that um, even though they would not be back for a while for until another feast that, and, and perhaps they might not even know if they would be able to return at the next feast or return next year. But they would find comfort in the fact that the worship of God and the sacrifices would be continued. That um, hopefully that there would be stability in Jerusalem, stability in the temple. And so they call on them to continue the worship. Always. Uh, Derek Kidner in his commentary, he writes this. He says, we learn from 1 Chronicles 9.33 that Levitical singers were on duty day and night. The law of Moses had summed up the role of this tribe in the words to carry the ark, to stand before the Lord to minister, and to bless in his name. Deuteronomy 10.8 When the ark found its resting place, David gave them new responsibilities. But worship still remained paramount. He said, they shall stand every morning, thanking and praising the Lord, and likewise at evening." So they call for, uh, the psalmist calls for continued worship. He says, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. He's talking about those, um, all of them, but even those on the night shift. Because it was continual. Um, They they were calling on them to continue their worship, even in the early dawn hours. And uh, for um, some of you who've ever worked a, a night shift job, you know how um, working a night shift e- either as a security guard or just a- in a place where uh, there's 24-7 operations, and-, and usually the night shift is um, usually the easier shift. <laughs> there's less going on. There's- usually there's less staff. There's less uh, um, customers or interactions. And uh, so sometimes it- it's a bit easier. There's less activity um, but there's also a sense that there's, um, you're more prone to slack off, to fall asleep, to be idle, to um, goof off. Um, just It's the night shift <laughs> and things happen on the night shift. And um, certainly uh, there's some truth to that for the Levites and the Israelites as well. Because, you know, who comes to the temple in the middle of the night, you know? Maybe a couple people that can't sleep. Who's going to sacrifice in the middle of the night? Um, so uh, there's this call to, that they would continue to worship even throughout the night. Even for those who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Even for those who are doing the night shift and they, they work up, wake up in the early dawn and they can't wait until the other priest comes to relieve them and they're weary so the, the the psalmist calls for continued worship even in in the spite of in spite of weariness. In spite of weariness, in spite of time. Um, and we, we read this as as Kidner was was alluding to. Um, Leviticus chapter six. And you, you can turn there if you want. Leviticus chapter six gives us command um, concerning the worship in, in all night. Leviticus chapter six and verse eight. Um, these commands, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar all night until the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body. And he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. And so there had to be priests there all 24-7 to keep this fire burning and uh, amongst other things there's probably other duties as well it's, um, you know, even uh, David said that, that they were to stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord and likewise that evening there, there was to be singers were to be on duty day and night uh, there was something going on around the temple around the tabernacle day and night but the, the altar there was fire was to be continually going. Remember, uh, this being in the military, one of the basic duties is a is, uh, guard duty, and they called it uh, fire watch or fire guard. And, uh, I, I only remember one time in which I actually watched a fire, and that was during some survival training. And I, I was amazed. I was like, hey, guys, we're actually doing fire watch. <laughs> but... Uh, this is what the Levites were. They were literally doing fire watch, um, all watching that fire, making sure it was continually burning. And um, probably not just the altar, but um, you know, from the altar there would be uh, the coals for the incense and, and other things that um, certainly, uh, you know, they had to maintain fire. Just uh, maybe to keep warm, maybe to keep light, uh, the torches or um, other things uh, they were to watch the fires and there's a tendency to grow weary and so the psalmist calls for them to bless the lord all the servants of the lord who stand by night in the house of the lord that they, they would not just go through the motions and especially uh in the early dawn in spite of weariness in spite of time and uh you know, there's this picture as, as all the people are packing up the last night of the feast and they're packing up their, their donkeys and their carts and their wagons and, um, you know, whatever they were carrying, maybe, maybe it was just a, 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 back, a backpack or something, um, getting ready to leave in the early dawn and, and uh, calling out to the servants uh, one last time, the priests, the Levites, to bless the Lord. And uh, we get a little bit of a picture from this, from Luke chapter 2, in that account when, um, you know, we, we read that account when Jesus gets lost among the crowds um, when he's 12, and uh, it is one of those feasts, one of these times of feast when um, Mary and Joseph, they go to the feast and then they leave and, and, and they don't, I mean, for a day they don't Find him. on the second day, they say, Wait a minute, where's, where's Jesus? And, um, and we can read that account and say, What? How, how could you miss your son? And it, it, it shows, in a sense, how massive the crowds were. There was um, one Roman historian um, during the time of Jesus. It was, it was around 60 AD that um, he was in Palestine and Just trying to, um, he uh, in a sense uh, counted or gave an uh, approximate uh, uh, number of the the pilgrims of the Jews that would come to Jerusalem, and uh, he used uh, the sacrifices, the sacrifices as kind of like a way to count how many people would come, and he he counted it somewhere around two point four million people. At that time, um, from all over the Greco-Roman world, from all over Israel, um, this was massive crowds of pilgrims. And so we can see as they're departing, and it's, it's just, and Jerusalem is, is quite small. I mean, you can walk across Jerusalem probably within about an hour um, quite easily. Um, it's not that big, and it was crowded you know, during these times, and, and then just to see the massive crowds to de- depart um, and go out. Um, we, we think of also um, you know, the time of Acts and, and Pentecost and all these, um, that's why it, partly the gift of tongues, because all these people from different lands, Jewish people, that were living in different lands and speaking different languages, and, and then they stayed there after Pentecost, after the, the, the feast, and uh, because they were converted, and we see you know, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he traveled all the way from Ethiopia to one of these feasts. It was, it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. And to, to go back to where they came from, that was also a huge deal. And it was a big event. But as they were preparing to return to their homes, they called out. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. They they call them to bless the Lord to to the worship leaders, a call to worship to the worship leaders for continued worship. And then thirdly, for an exuberant worship. Verse two, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. That that they would uh, take this seriously, um, enthusiastically, that there would be exuberant worship that it wouldn't just be going through the motions. Uh, I like what John Calvin writes um, concerning this psalm. He says, the psalm begins with the demonstrative adverb, behold, which is really how most, most translations say, come, bless the Lord, but it should be really translated, behold, bless the Lord. And he goes on and he says, setting the matter of their duty before their eyes, for they were to be stimulated to devotion by looking constantly to the temple. We are to notice the psalmist's design in urging the duty of praise so earnestly upon them. Many of the Levites, through the tendency which there is in all men to abuse ceremonies, considered that nothing more than was necessary than standing idly in the temple, and thus overlooked the principal part of their duty. The psalmist would show that merely to keep nightly watch over the temple— kindle the lamps and superintend the sacrifices was of no importance unless they served God spiritually. It's a call to um, do their, their service with uh, uh, a willing heart, with an exuberant heart, with an enthusiastic heart. And it's interesting that John Calvin comments on this because um, more often than not, if you read um, any of Calvin's commentaries, um, he he doesn't miss an opportunity to um, to poke at the at the papists at the Roman Catholics, and so he knew what perfunctory worship was, what going through the motions was, because um, he always uh, wrote against it, he preached against it, and this is in a sense uh, what the psalmist is calling out to the Levites and the priests to do, um, not, not implying that they are um, going through the motions, but um, calling them to praise the Lord, to um, all you who stand by night in the house of the Lord, wh- whether you're weary, whether you're tired, whatever time it is, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord with, with lifted hands. Um, you know, sometimes we... Um, We're in a pretty conservative church and um, most of us come from conservative church backgrounds and lifting hands can be a bit too much. And we see the excesses of lifting hands in uh, more charismatic churches. But in and of itself, there's nothing necessarily wrong with lifting hands. It's where your heart is. Um, There is a sense that when you uh, get in a group, in, in our context, that it can almost seem um, like you're drawing attention to yourself or you know you see other people lifting hands and you're not and you feel like, well what's wrong with me or you feel guilty? am I not spiritual? And there's no requirement to lift hands. You're not necessarily more spiritual if you do or less spiritual if you don't. But there there is a sense that um, you know the whole, body the whole person is involved in worship that everything is involved in worship and also with focused attention not just with lifted hands that they would praise the lord and bless the lord but with a focused attention to the holy place to the holy place that they would direct all their attention to the holy place to the holy of holies where the sacrifices were, were sacrificed where were, um, all the worship was focused on. And it's interesting, if you go to Israel or you see pictures of Israel, you you know there's a wailing wall for the Jews. And that that's, you know, the temple mount that is part of the, the Jewish quarter or the section of Jerusalem that is still under Jewish uh, control. And, and they go there, and they go to the wailing wall to pray and uh, because that's as close as they could, can get to where the temple was before it was, uh, you know, before it was destroyed. Uh, according to, in fact, um, you can see the stones and the rubble, that just um, Jesus' prophecy, that one stone will not be left upon another. And there is rubble there, um, huge boulders. And they continue to go there because they, they don't believe in Christ But yet they go there because it's as close as they can get. And and even underneath, there's a section along the Wailing Wall where there's a tunnel. It goes underneath. And they go under that tunnel. They have gone under the tunnel because it's even closer to the temple where the temple was and to the Holy of Holies. Say, so try to get as close as they can. This is the focus to the holy place. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Direct your direct your attention to the Lord as close as you can get to the Lord um, with all your praise, with all your heart, with all your body, everything. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And you know, um, I just returned from a, a, a Bible conference and. Some of you may have gone to retreats or camps or youth camps, and there's a sense of, um, you know, you, we can see this even on a, a short-term missions trip, if you've ever been on a short-term missions trip or overseas, um, just getting out of your context in a worship sense, in a camp or a retreat or a missions trip or a conference, and there's something special about it. There's something special about this time and place where where we can uh, get away and and the worship is heightened and it's directed. And and when it comes time to leave, there's almost a sense where we linger around. We just linger around and, and continue the fellowship and just want to continue the worship And this is what the the people they they have to go home, and there are those times where we we get to the end of those events, those times we know we have to go home, but we kind of want to stay. And so they're they're in a sense lingering, but they're calling out to the priests, they're calling out to the servants, they're calling out to one another to come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. So we see first in this psalm a call to worship. And then second, we see a consequence of worship. A call to worship and then a consequence of worship. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And it's almost this call and response. We we sing songs um, with a call and response or we recite scripture with a call and response. And this is almost picturing the priests responding back to the people before they leave. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. uh, they're, They're blessing them. Alan Ross, in his commentary on the Psalms, he writes this. The point of the Psalm is straightforward. When the servants of the Lord bless the Lord in the sanctuary, they will in turn proclaim the Lord's blessing on his people. This has not changed over the years, even though the external forms of worship have Ministers leading the worshipers must bless the Lord in the sanctuary, and as they bless him for his bounty, they will anticipate his continued blessing on the people." There's this back and forth of worship. The worshipers filled with a sense of awe and thankfulness and joy over their experience at the feast, at, at, at worshiping in Jerusalem, at the temple, at the center of worship. They call out to the priests and the Levites to continue the worship, to continue to bless the Lord. And then the priests and the Levites call out call out blessing upon the people as they leave, as they go back to their homes and their, their um their places where they reside, whether inside Israel or outside of Israel. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. And so, this consequence of worship, that blessing would come back upon the worshipers. And it starts with a petition for the worshipers, a petition for the worshipers. And this comes. It's to and from the Lord to the Lord, may the Lord bless you from Zion right away we 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 can uh in a sense see that this hearkens uh, back to the um, Aaronic blessing in numbers chapter six, this blessing which uh Aaron and the priests were to uh, say upon all the people and and they would say uh, uh a benediction, so to speak, as they, they leave. And, and this is most likely what was happening, that the priests were reciting this Aaronic blessing. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 22 um, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is uh, most likely what the priests were saying as the people were leaving. May the Lord bless you from Zion. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. But this blessing, is not just in the Old Testament, but we see um, instances of uh, this benediction, this blessing um, on the people of God, even in, in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of benedictions in the New Testament. Uh, Paul has one in, in Romans and in Ephesians. Romans 16, 25. Um, Paul writes this at the end of that letter. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that, ha- that was kept f- secret for long ages. But has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings that has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It is in a sense praising God, but also blessing the people. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. He says a similar thing in Ephesians chapter three and verses 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. A, a benediction at the, um, you, you've probably heard uh, sermons or preachers who have recited these, these benedictions at the end of a service. There's this petition to the worshipers in Psalm 134. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Uh, Just as these blessings in in Numbers and throughout the New Testament, benedictions, uh, a petition, a blessing upon the worshipers uh, to the Lord and from the Lord, this response. But we also see another consequence of worship that uh, this um, petition for the worshipers is, is not only to and from the Lord, but it's from the center of worship. May the Lord bless you from Zion, uh, rem- reminding them of uh, what they've just done, that the Lord, um, he has established a place for him, him to be worshiped, uh, established a capital, a, a temple um, from Zion. Uh, you know, the, the meaning of our life is is worship he he, he reminds them of their worship uh, of the center of worship you know and um, this is what this this psalm this short psalm it, it has it, it's a topic and a subject as as big as the whole bible because it's all about worship It's all about worship. That's the reason why we exist. That's the reason why the Israelites came. It's the reason why they exist as a nation, why we exist as a church, to worship God. And there's this sense where this petition is not only to and from the Lord, but it's from the center of worship. I like what James Montgomery Boyce, he writes this in his commentary on the Psalms talking about this subject of worship. He says, what is the chief end of man? We know the answer to that question. It is the first response of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do we know what it means really to glorify, praise, or worship God, though? And he goes on to quote John Stott. He says, uh, quotes John Stott. Stott, who said, Christians believe that true worship is the highest and noblest activity of which man, by the grace of God, is capable. That is true. Yet Stott's statement highlights what is probably the greatest failure of the evangelical church in our day, namely that for large segments of the church, perhaps the majority of churches, true worship is almost non-existent. What he's talking at, what he's hinting at, is the going through the motions perfunctory worship, which um, is almost offensive to God, and this, this whole psalm is about a true worship, a heart of worship, a continued worship, um, and, and even this As the the psalmist and the people call to the servants, to the Levites, to the priests, to continue the worship um, as they are leaving, there's this consequence of worship that they would um, bless the people that they would continue to worship. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Remember Zion. Don't forget Zion. Don't forget the worship. Don't forget the, the feast. Don't forget the law. Don't forget your heritage you are a worshiper of god the the one true God who made heaven and earth we are created to worship it's our sole purpose for life and yet uh too often uh you know we are um, we are distracted from worship we are diverted from worship we um, in a sense refuse to worship or we worship other things you know the the um arch enemies of, of worship, of a true God-centered, God-honoring worship, are selfishness, pride, and worldliness, which we're all prone to. We're, it's, it's something that we all um, are assaulted with the temptations of daily. Selfishness, pride, worldliness. But as we see in the psalm that um, we are to direct our gaze toward God, toward his, towards God, um, in a sense, uh, his center of worship. Yes, he in, in this new covenant age, in our New Testament age, he indwells all of us. So there is a sense we worship God wherever we go. Um, we can worship him wherever because he's with us. But there's also a sense that we gather for special times of worship. And we are to gather, we are to remember um, that those times and the the special times of worship in which we gather. This is what the 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 Levites as they, they pronounce this blessing upon the people as they leave to almost remember Zion, remember the worship. The psalmist's desire is is that they would remember Zion. They would remember uh, the worship of God here. They would remember what would happen, what took place but also there's a sense there's this this second consequence of a provision for the worshipers, of a blessing as as we read in the Aaronic blessing that a blessing of life, of health, of peace, of protection, of um, provision, of um, uh, their posterity, that they would continue on living wherever they would go Is, you know, all throughout the Songs of Ascent, we see these um, instances of trials, of afflictions, of even persecutions. We're reminded of the persecutions of of Israel, and and yet, as these people are leaving uh, the comfort and the blessing of Jerusalem, of Zion, of worship, and they're going back out into the world, back out to um, places where. There might not be a synagogue where there might not be a a large Jewish community and the Levites are pronouncing blessing upon them from Zion that the Lord would protect them, that the Lord would provide for them, that the Lord would encourage them. I I like what um, another commentator, Alec Motyer, he wrote this in his common commentary on the Psalms. Um, he says, when he blesses us, he reviews our needs and meets them. When we bless him, we review his excellencies and worship him. He, he, he blesses us, God blesses us um, according to our, our needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs, and we, we bless him according to his excellencies. He doesn't need us, but we, we need him and we rejoice in uh, what he is and what he has done. Finally, this uh, final consequence of worship is um, that the, uh, the Levites, the uh, priests, would not only um, offer a petition for the worshipers, a provision for the worshipers, but a perpetuation of the worshipers, that they would uh, continue on. That they would continue on wherever they would go to. That they would thrive. That they would survive. That they would um, continue to bless the Lord. That they would continue to praise the Lord. This is, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And this is the will of God. That we would worship Him always. That we would rejoice in Him always. That we would pray to Him always. E- even in, in, the, in the Old Testament. Even as, as Solomon, uh, he... Uh, dedicates the temple and and says that this, this house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, a place to pray, a place to sacrifice, a place to seek the Lord, to look to him, to bless him. And as those would come to Zion, come to the temple to bless the Lord, they would leave with a blessing and go out with a blessing I'd like to end with uh, what Charles Spurgeon said about this psalm. He says, Think well of Jehovah, and speak well of him. Adore him with reverence. Draw near to him with love. Delight in him with exultation. Be not content with praise, such as all his works render to him. But as his saints, see that ye bless him. He blesses you, therefore be zealous to bless him. The word bless is a characteristic word of this psalm. The first two verses stir us up to bless Jehovah, and in the last verse, Jehovah's blessing is invoked upon the people. Oh, to abound in blessing, may blessed and blessing be the two words which describe our lives. Let others flatter their fellows, or bless their stars, or praise themselves. As for us, we will bless Jehovah, from whom all blessings flow." That's our life. That's what our life is to be. We are to be a blessed people who bless the Lord and bless others. And others are blessed because of us. Blessings should flow uh, through us, from God and out to others. We are to be a blessed people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. and Lord, for all the psalms, all the Psalter. We, we go through the psalms and, and we can go to the psalms in times of despair, times of trouble, times of worry, doubt, fear. But also times of joy, times of thankfulness, times of blessing. And the psalms direct us to you. They direct us to your heart of uh, compassion, of mercy, of grace, of love. They direct us to your forgiveness, to your Uh, steadfast love and to worship you to worship you whatever the circumstances to trust in you wherever we may be in life whatever we may be going through to hope in you to rest in you and to bless you so Lord help us to be the blessed people that you call us to be to rest in your blessings which you've bestowed upon us Those spiritual blessings, those physical blessings, and to bless others in your name. We thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.